Welcome back to American Football the British Way. I'm your host, British, like the people, and I just want you to pat yourselves on the back. Congratulations. We have made it through week one of the regular season of the NFL. Do you understand what you are watching? Did you have a good time watching? Because I certainly did. There were highs, there were lows. I only cried a couple times the first time when the Bears lost, the second time when my fantasy team lost. But that's neither here nor there. What I want to do is make sure that you understood what you were watching and I can keep giving you the things you need to make sure you can keep understanding what you're watching. One thing that we never really determined in episode one was how you even begin with the ball when you're playing football in the NFL. So here's what happens. Before the game starts, each team sends their captain to midfield that 50 yard line and there's a old school coin toss the away team captain gets to pick heads or tails and if they pick correctly they have basically three decisions that they could make they could either get the ball and by that i mean they receive the opening kickoff so the other team would punt the ball to them or they can decide to kick the ball to the other team and start on defense. Or finally, they can just choose to defer. And really, that deferring option lately has been bigger for teams. And it mainly just means that they will make that decision of what they want to do in the second half of the game. There's a lot of debate for why people would do that. Uh, the NFL hasn't always been that way where they had the deferred option, but technically it gives them a chance to really decide if they want to receive or kick the ball at the start of each half. So you really have more options. Either way, most teams are really just deciding if they want to start with the ball or if they want to be the one to knock the other team out and then get the ball back. <laughs> and there is no right answer. For you to understand football, all you need to know is the away team is the one that calls heads or tails, and they're going to determine who gets the ball first. The number one thing we're really going to talk about this week are penalties, those pesky penalties. You love them, you hate them, you can't get away from them. Let's shout out to all our friends in black and white stripes. Those are your referees on the field. And those are the people who are going to be determining, well, if you ask most NFL fans, they're going to be determining the outcome of the game. <laughs> NFL scripted, right? Uh, but really, those people are there to watch out and make sure that you're not only following the rules, but you're also staying safe. Fun fact, the NFL didn't have a female referee until 2015. Her name was Sarah Thomas. 2015. The NFL has been around for a very long time. And then to top it off, they didn't have their first black female referee until 2021. That's insane. But we're not here to talk about fairness when it comes to coaching or being the referee, or at least not in these first few weeks, we're not. Right now, we're just going to talk about the job that the referee has. And actually, there are seven officials on the field 
during a game. There's technically only one person that is the referee, that is the head referee, and you can tell which one that person is because they are wearing a white cap. The other people are basically different versions of line judges. They're there to watch specific areas of the field and pay attention to things. You can really look at penalties in two separate categories. One category, which is just enforcing the rules, and another category that I would consider enforcing safety. Because some of the rules that the penalties call out have nothing to do with protecting the players and everything to do with making sure all the rules are followed strictly. Football is nothing but a game that has very strict rules. People laugh because you're only trying to make it 100 yards, but it takes a long time. And part of the reason for that is because referees pull out little yellow flags and throw them on the field to determine the sway of a game one way or the other. All penalties come with different consequences. So generally, you're going to lose yardage based on the severity of the penalty. What do I mean by that? Well, if your goal in four downs is to get 10 yards, you can have a penalty that sets you back five yards, 10 yards, and even 15 yards. Those penalties can also cause you to lose a down. And by that, I mean cause you to lose the chance to gain that yardage back. I'm going to talk to you about a lot of common penalties. These are not every single penalty that exists in the NFL. I'm going to repeat that. There are several more penalties that can be found any given game of the NFL. But let's get back to our goal, ladies and gentlemen. Our goal is to understand football basically. I want you to hear the penalties that you're going to hear the most and have a general idea of what those are. So let's talk about some penalties that don't really hurt you. They just hurt your rules, right? One penalty is called delay of game. Okay, so this would cause you five yards, and this is an offensive penalty. If the quarterback holds the ball for longer than they are supposed to when they're ready to start a play and make an attempt to get their 10 yards, they're going to get this penalty called on them. So you understand that there's a game clock, right? We said 15 minutes for every quarter, but there's also a play clock and that's 40 seconds. And really what that means is the quarterback gets 40 seconds to get his whole team together with the play and to get his center to snap him the ball so he can put the ball in motion, whether that means handing it off to a running back or throwing it to one of his tight ends or receivers or running it himself. He has that 40 seconds to do that. If he does not snap the ball, meaning take it from the center in those 40 seconds, the ref can call a delay of game, then get pushed back five yards. So if they were first and 10, they would now be first and 15. Or if they were second and one, they would now be second and six. You get my drift. Furthermore, you could get what's called a false start, okay? This is when an offensive player, when they are lined up, we call that a line of scrimmage, okay? That's the area that you're going to begin your play from. When they're lined up on the line or in the backfield, okay, and they move forward before that quarterback calls the ball into play, that's penalty. 
that's a five yard penalty. It's really interesting because a lot of times when you hear the whistle blow and you see that yellow flag come out, you know it's either a false start or the next one that I'm going to explain to you, which is offsides. And that's a defensive problem. So if the defender is reaching any part of their body beyond what's called that neutral zone, okay, so the neutral zone is the space in between both teams when they're lining up. If that defender is reaching their body beyond that neutral zone before the ball is snapped or during the snap, that's a five-yard penalty, meaning the offense gains five yards. So now they are closer to their next set of downs. What becomes confusing is there's also a neutral zone infraction. And the basic difference is, if the defense moves before the ball is snapped and it ca- they cause the offense to then move before the ball is snapped, that is a neutral zone infraction, meaning the defense jumped and it forced the other side to jump as well. If the other side stays put and the defense moves, that's offsides. Does that make sense? I'll, I'll let you get, take a second to run that back. But truly, they're very, very similar. One just involves both sides of the ball. And either way, you're going to get a five-yard penalty. Let's talk about the penalties now that start to really interfere with the game. Holding. Holding. Offense. Number 56. It's a 10-yard penalty. Repeat. First down. I don't know if that was my referee voice that you were hearing just then, but basically when the offense is called for holding, it's going to be a 10-yard penalty, okay? And what happens here is they are keeping a defensive player in their arms or in their hands while the defense is trying to block, okay? So you are not allowed to grab and hold on to players. That's not the way that you block, If you do that, it means that you're taking away their ability to properly try to be a defensive player, basically. If the defense does it, the offense gains five yards, but they also get a whole new set of downs. The defense is not allowed to hold on to anyone on the offense other than the person with the ball. So in order for them to tackle them, they're going to have to grab and hold them. However, and that's not the only way you can tackle them, but it's a significant way to tackle for somebody. However, if you don't have the ball and you're on offense, you cannot be held by a defensive player. This is a very, very common thing, unfortunately. And everything that I've heard from players, especially linemen, is that, listen, everybody holds, everybody just doesn't get called for it. It's part of the game. You are playing the game with your arms and hands. It happens. You get hooked on other players when you're running into each other and grabbing onto each other. You just can't make it super intentional. Another huge one that you will absolutely hear all the time is pass interference. Now, here's where it gets tricky for people because pass interference happens on both sides of the ball. And what do I mean by that? I mean that you can have offensive pass interference and defensive pass interference, okay? It is an equal opportunity issue. If the offense does it, it is a 10-yard penalty, meaning both the person that is trying to catch the ball as well as the person that is defending that ball have to have an equal chance at catching the ball. That seems ridiculous, right? Like, why would you give a defender an equal chance of catching the ball? But it's about purity. 
It's also about safety. You don't want the offensive player holding the defensive player down or hitting them or pushing them. It's basically a keep your hands to yourself and focus on the ball kind of penalty. And it's the same way when you're on defense. You cannot interfere physically with the player catching the ball. You can absolutely catch the ball yourself. You can knock the ball away, but you can't get in the way of them catching it by using your body on their body. If that happens, the implications for the defense are huge. And why is that British? Well, I will tell you why. It's because the penalty is at the spot of the foul. What does that mean? Let's say you have a quarterback that can really sling the ball, okay? They have thrown this ball 50 yards down the field and their receiver, their receiver was close to catching it, but the defender grabbed their arm and held them from the ability to catch it. Well, wherever they were on the field when this happened, so in this case, 50 yards away, they get the ball at that spot. The assumption is that the receiver would have caught the ball had the defender not physically gotten in the way of holding that ball back. So now they get a huge advantage. They don't just get a new set of downs to get 10 yards. They're wherever this foul occurred. The only time you don't get the exact spot is if the foul occurs in the end zone. And if the foul occurs in the end zone, they get to place the ball on the one yard line. That means the offense only has to make it one yard to get into the end zone. It's a huge foul. Again, it's big if there's offensive holding as well, because you're going to lose 10 yards. But defensive holding, this is why being a cornerback is more than just being that player who was just not good enough to catch the ball on offense. But that person not only has to be as fast as the receiver, they have to have the proper spatial awareness to focus on getting the ball either caught themselves or knocked away from the receiver without getting a call. And that's the biggest part. This is an, a well-debated topic. Frequently, we have seen games either called or ended on pass interference calls. It's definitely something to pay attention to. Finally, you have what's called intentional grounding. Now, I feel like you don't hear this called as much as you hear fans complaining that this is something that the quarterback that is not on their team is doing. What is intentional grounding? Basically, if you are the quarterback, you cannot just fling the ball anywhere you want to in order to avoid being sacked. There has to be an eligible player in the vicinity of the ball that you're throwing. So in the area that you're throwing the ball, there has to be a player there who technically would have been eligible to catch the ball. If they can determine that you were just throwing the ball all willy-nilly because you could tell that you were going to be sacked and lose a bunch of yards, then that's an intentional grounding call, and that's a 10-yard penalty. By the way, a sack is when the quarterback is tackled with the ball behind the line of scrimmage. So that line that you line up where you're face to face, right when you're about to have the play, that's your line of scrimmage. The quarterback can back up and prepare to throw the ball 
But if they get taken down in the midst of doing that before they get their pass off or before they can run, that's a sack. Those are kind of your not as physically imposing rules. These are the rules and penalties that you deal with that don't really have to do with getting hurt necessarily. Of course, people can get hurt on pass interference, but it's not the same as some of these other penalties I'm going to talk about. Face mask, okay? This is a 15-yard penalty. You cannot grab any part of your opponent's helmet, okay? What happens is people end up grabbing the front of the helmet, like around that mouth area, and then using it to pull the person down. That is an absolute penalty. It's dangerous because people often even get their helmets ripped off in the midst of it. But also, I mean, imagine if you're just getting ripped down by some 300-pound guy by your face. (laughs) Nobody wants that. (laughs) Or at least that's not what you signed up for because it's against the rules. Okay. We also have mm, a very controversial penalty roughing the passer. You could also call this roughing the kicker because you're not allowed to take them down either. This is a 15-yard penalty and an automatic first down, okay? You are only allowed to tackle the quarterback if they have the ball in their possession or immediately after they have thrown the ball. It has to be very clear that you are already in motion to tackle the quarterback while they were in the process of throwing the ball. If you could commit what is considered a late hit on the quarterback, or if you hit the kicker or punter while they're kicking or after they're kicking the ball, This is going to be a roughing the passer, roughing the kicker, and that is a large penalty. The reason that I say it's controversial is because in the last several years, there has been a larger emphasis on protecting quarterbacks. And ultimately, this comes down to protecting the head health of the players. Quarterbacks are the people that are targeted the most. They are not always your biggest, burliest player. They are oftentimes nimble and a little bit more slight, and they are getting hit constantly. So in order to make sure that we are protecting their health in the long term, it is important that the referees keep on top of players that are doing dirty, often dirty hits by taking out that player well after they no longer had possession of the ball. That's a huge one. And and really, the biggest penalty that you can get then afterwards would be like a personal foul. That's the worst. You can literally be kicked out of the game and find actual real American doll hairs for personal fouls. This is anything as as much as like fighting after a play, okay? That's a big reason why you might get a personal foul called on you. If it seems like you were unnecessarily rough in your taking down of somebody, and and that I mean, like if you hit a player out of bounds, that's unsportsmanlike conduct. That is a 15-yard penalty. And if you're on defense, you're giving them a first down for that as well. The last part of unsportsmanlike conduct is often up for debate. And it's something that I talk about about frequently every single time it's called in a game and that's taunting well what is taunting first of all i want you to think about if you think it's silly or if it's justified the problem i have with taunting is this it is extremely 
subjective. In 2023, we have the ability to go back and review plays immediately after they've taken place. You can tell if a person had their foot in bounds. You can tell if somebody jumped across that neutral zone before the ball was snapped because you can run it back. But taunting, taunting is really about If the referee thinks you're being mean or saying things unnecessary after a play, but they can also call taunting for you spiking a football or what they would consider to be excessive celebration after a play. If they think that you are walking in the face of your opponent and basically sticking your thumbs in your ears and sticking your tongue out at them, you can get in trouble for that. There's a lot of really good articles out there about taunting and the history of taunting and the history of actual just celebrations in the NFL to begin with. I would encourage you to look up, I read very recently a Bleacher Report article about celebrations and the way that the NFL looks at celebrations could even be considered kind of racist. And I don't want you to think that this podcast is delving into that specifically, but I do think it's interesting to look at the way that we have pointed out different players celebrating, the way that in the past, once something like the Lambo leap became a thing, that was protected, but other forms of celebration weren't protected. And who originated the different types of celebrations? It's just something to consider when you're looking at the whole part of it. It's not going to stop whether you understand watching the game or not, but it just gives you a little piece of where you think different refs might be when they make those calls. There's other pieces of the game that we haven't really talked about either, and it There are more basic phrases. So there were several fumbles in week one, some that had bigger implications for the whole game than others, but we never even talked about what a fumble is. So if a player securely has possession of the ball and then loses it before they have been ruled down on the field by contact or before they finish scoring or if they have gone out of bounds and they lose that ball, that is a fumble. That means it is a live ball. And by live ball, I mean any other player on the field. So any of the other 21 people on the field, well, technically 22 because you can recover your own fumble, but any other player can pick that ball up and then become in possession of the ball. So the biggest time you see this as a problem is if the defense recovers a fumble, that means their team will now go on offense and they are going to start at the point that they picked up that ball. Or the offense can recover a fumble, but most of the time when you're fumbling, you're losing yardage, meaning something happened and the ball was snapped incorrectly and you had it, but you lost it. And now you're back several yards and you just have to jump on it. It it definitely is a way that you can change possession of the ball and really change the trajectory of the game. It's also something that gets debated when the quarterback is the one that is fumbling because if they have forward motion, and by that I mean if it shows that they are forward passing the ball, but it doesn't get to the player or something happens, that's just an incomplete pass. But if they decide to throw laterally or to their side, that's a fumble. And this is why I say sometimes that 
it feels like they're overcomplicating things, right? But it can be fun once you get the hang of all the penalties because you start to notice what's happening and you can call it out yourself. Or you notice when certain penalties don't get called. For example, very controversial, at the end of the Monday night game, there was a touchdown that happened from a kick return. And arguably, one of the people that was helping block for the person that was running the ball back, it appeared that they tripped the player that was trying to tackle the person running the ball back. And tripping is a penalty in the NFL. You cannot intentionally or unintentionally trip a player while they're in motion. That was never called. The ball was considered a touchdown in the end zone and that's it. But if you know about that penalty, you're watching everything, you see, oh my gosh, he tripped that guy and nobody threw a flag. Uh, you you have more feelings about it and it's more things to talk about after the game. A big part of football is just enjoying chatting about it with the people that you're watching it with. Don't get me wrong, you can absolutely enjoy watching football on your own. I certainly do. But part of it is the camaraderie you get when you're watching with the other people that like your team or you're commiserating with the other people who like your team because for whatever reason, they just couldn't pull it together in week one. Yeah, that's tough. I've talked about how referees throw yellow flags But have you ever noticed a red flag being thrown? Uh, That's called the challenge flag. So each coach gets the opportunity to throw a red flag and challenge the call that a referee makes. This is going to force that head referee, the one in the white hat, to go into their little booth on the sideline and revisit the play and determine if their judges made the correct call. If they made the correct call, then the call is considered stands. The referee will come out and say the call on the field stands and the coach that threw that red flag, they're going to lose a timeout. However, if the coach was correct and somebody in their booth that's watching up above, you know, radios down to them and says, no, no, my player was in bounds, not out of bounds, they can have the call reversed. You do not have an unlimited amount of challenges, but it's really useful, again, in this day and age of 2023, to be able to look back at the play and say, no, I think you got it wrong. Because what's really important to remember is that referees are people too, even though we often don't feel like it because it feels like they're playing a certain side, they are. And that means they're fallible. They can make mistakes. They don't always see things correctly. And every play doesn't always get reviewed. You're taking a risk by throwing that challenge flag, but sometimes the risk pays off. Finally, let's do a little week one roundup. One thing that really stuck out to me week one is there were a lot of prominent injuries. Now, fans and players alike have been saying that Injuries have been happening more and more, especially on artificial turf. But again, that is a cause and situation for a different podcast or just a different day. However, let me tell you about some of the notable players that have hurt. If you are paying any attention 
to the NFL right now, you have heard that Mr. Aaron Rodgers, oh, this is a callback to episode one because I talked about how much I didn't like Aaron Rodgers. I would never wish ill upon him, but it just so happens that in his debut with the New York Jets, he tore his Achilles and now will be out for the entire season. He only made it a few plays into the game before the accident happened. Why do we like to watch accidents? I feel like I saw this Achilles tear replayed about a thousand times between seeing it on TV and watching other people's reactions to it. It has been in every single Twitter video that I have seen. It's been all over TikTok. It's everywhere. And it's terrible. It's just painful, but I can't stop looking at it. I don't know. I'm trying to scroll, but really I do feel badly. I never want a player to get hurt. I just want them to play poorly. I would have preferred he go in there and played like some of the other quarterbacks played this week one and just stunk it up and no longer have been an MVP level quarterback. Instead, we get to play the game of what could have been for the Jets and they still happen to win, which we'll talk about in our big game roundup. But we also had Austin Eckler, who's a running back for the Chargers, had a phenomenal game, but he rolled out with an ankle injury. Doesn't look like it's necessarily going to be season ending, but that's big. Uh, you did have another running back, however, with uh, also tearing their Achilles, and that was J.K. Dobbins for the Baltimore Ravens. RIP to my fantasy team. He scored a touchdown and then immediately was also out for the season. The Steelers had two big names go down as well. Deontay Johnson, who's arguably their wide receiver one, has a hamstring issue and will potentially be sidelined for a few weeks. And then Cameron Hayward, who plays defense for them, had a groin injury and it's unknown how long he'll be out. So it really stinks because we have the preseason in the hopes that the preseason kind of helps warm up the teams to get ready to play. But injuries are just going to happen. They don't care if it's week one or week 17 or the playoffs or the Super Bowl. This is part of the game. It just feels icky because you just rather see players lose for playing poorly. Let's talk about our big games now. Um, I'm not going to recap every single game that happened because as I told you, weeks one through four, every single team is going to play. But here are some big ones, at least the big ones that people are looking at. Starting with your Thursday night game, we had Lions versus Chiefs. Remember that I said this was going to be a huge game that everyone was going to blow out of proportion one way or the other. Well, the Chiefs, who are the defending Super Bowl champions, happened to lose at home to the Detroit Lions. Lions were looking frisky. They definitely made some mistakes on offense, didn't use all of the weapons they could have used, but their coach, Dan Campbell, he he has uh, he has his eyes set on the prize. He called some plays early on that were dicey, but really worked out for them. So they get the win. That was Thursday night. Then some other big games. The Cincinnati Bengals have a terrible loss to the Cleveland Browns. And really, this is just something that everybody's looking at because the Cincinnati Bengals have the now highest paid quarterback in all of football, and he went out and put an abysmal performance out. Now, he was injured during preseason and did not take any snaps. He was not really practicing with the team. 
the focus was on getting him healthy and getting his calf back correct, but he felt good enough to play in game one, and it did not look that way at all. They only put up three points. It was a weather game. It was raining. However, one thing that people have to remember when they talk about weather games is that both teams are playing in those conditions. It doesn't just go against the team that ends up losing. And somehow the Browns were able to squeak it out. We also had a huge game for the 49ers. They played the Steelers. And while the Steelers weren't coming into this season looking like a top contender, there were a lot of positive things about them coming out of the preseason. Ultimately, this is just a game that showed that the San Francisco 49ers are the real deal. They're absolutely looking like they're going to be Super Bowl contenders again this year. It just kind of makes you wonder what would have been had they had a quarterback to finish out the playoffs last year. Could they have gone to the Super Bowl instead of the Eagles? Well, we'll never really know, but this is their chance to show us again. Then there was just an absolute bloodbath with the Dallas Cowboys versus the New York Giants. Let me tell you what happened when I was watching this game. This was the Sunday night game. Immediately, I say, oh, it looks like the Giants are having a great first drive. And then it goes haywire when they get in the red zone. That's that area that's the closest to the end zone, okay? That's that scoring area. And everything kind of just fell apart. And from there on out, the offense just couldn't get it going at all. Just abysmal. They lost 40 to zero. Complete shutout. Don't get me wrong, the Cowboys' defense looked amazing, but it was their defense that won that game. And that's no offense to Dak Prescott, their quarterback, but his stats weren't phenomenal at the end of the game either. It was the defense that really just let them know that they are not going anywhere and they are here to play this year. Finally, I've already touched on it a little bit, but our Monday night game was the New York Jets versus the Buffalo Bills. And this is always going to be a big game because we're talking about New York versus New York. We had huge expectations going into this game with the New York Jets being on that TV show that I mentioned to you called Hard Knocks. Everybody was big up on the Jets. They had their MVP quarterback, and then he goes down just a couple of plays in. Yet the Buffalo Bills who arguably have had what people would consider a top five quarterback in Josh Allen, he threw three interceptions in the game and they just didn't look like they had it together at all. And ultimately they ended up losing wild. If nothing else, it made me absolutely excited for week two. Uh, Notice I did not mention my Chicago Bears because they put up a very sad showing against the Green Bay Packers. And I'm frankly just not really ready to talk about it yet. I'm sad. I'm muting every Packers fan that I can find on the internet. And yeah, I won't be taking questions about it at this time. (laughs) Getting into a little week two preview, I'm not going to give you every single game. I'm just going to highlight a couple games that I think are going to be big games. Your Thursday night game is the Minnesota Vikings at the Philadelphia Eagles. The Vikings had a surprising loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this Sunday. Uh, And oftentimes you will hear people call the Vikings quarterback. They'll say that he's not a prime time quarterback, meaning he doesn't tend to perform well when his 
game is in the spotlight and this is a spotlight game for him. So it'll be interesting to see how they do against the Eagles. Remember, the Eagles were the runner-ups of the Super Bowl last year, but the Vikings had a significant amount of wins last year. So it should be hopefully a decent game to watch. And then on Sunday, you have a couple of games that I would look out for. The Baltimore Ravens are playing at the Cincinnati Bengals. So this is ha- this has to be a comeback game for the Bengals. This is a rival and they need a big game. They need to show that game one was a fluke. They've knocked the dust off and now they're ready to play again. You also have the Kansas City Chiefs at the Jaguars. Jaguars are off to a nice start. They have uh, Calvin Ridley back. He is a wide receiver who was suspended last year, and now he is back with a vengeance, and he put up a great stat line last week, too, so that should hopefully be a good game. The Chiefs are set to have back, hopefully, their star tight end, Travis Kelsey. They're also set to have back a star defensive player in Chris Jones, so they're going to look to be the Chiefs that you know and remember again, and it should should make for a really good game. Also, you're going to have the Jets at the Cowboys. And as I mentioned, the Cowboys just put an absolute whomping on the Giants last week. So let's see if they can repeat that. The Jets also have an equally fantastic defense. So it will be interesting to see how the offense plays up against them and if they can do their part to try to win the game. Your Sunday night game is the Miami Dolphins, who we did not talk about. They uh, they, they had a shootout with the Los Angeles Chargers last week and ended up winning, and they're going to be playing the New England Patriots at the Patriots. Patriots also gave the Philadelphia Eagles a good run for their money. They they could have won that game. They made a few mistakes that cost them the opportunity, so that should be a decent game. Then surprisingly, on Monday night, you have a double header. You're going to have Saints at Panthers, and that starts at 7.15 Eastern, and then Browns at Steelers at 8.15. I'm not going to lie, I'm not super excited for any of these four teams to watch, but it's football it's going to be on. It's what's for dinner. Okay, we're going to watch it. Thank you again for listening to episode two. Please do me a favor and follow my TikTok, American Football British Way. I'm on Instagram. Download the episodes, save the episodes, share them with your friends. Let's make sure everybody can enjoy this game. Talk to you next week.